Thank you, choir. Our, that's a good segue to mention that our theme for Holy Week services, Palm Sunday to Easter, will be grace. It will be even the, the phrases, the, each verse of amazing grace. So I hope that you'll bring that back to us again and bless, bless us again at Easter time. Friends, I invite you to open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, you can find that in your pew Bible, I believe, on page uh, 988, if you don't have one with you. We're continuing looking at Paul's final instructions here to the church there in Thessalonica, chapter 5, and we're just going to look at verses 14 and 15 this morning. So listen now to God's word. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, we do thank you for your word, your living word, inspiring these words in Paul's life and in his ministry to write to this church has been a blessing throughout the ages. And so, Lord, we pray that it would continue to be one here at Nielsville. That can only happen uh, with your Holy Spirit working in and through the simple words that I prepared. And so, Lord, would you do that good work in our lives individually and corporately as a church, that we would be more and more the people you have designed us to be and worthy of your calling. Amen. Most families have somebody who needs special attention, be it a slacker, younger brother, a rebellious sister, or a drunk uncle. Having family members with special needs affects the family's life. Parents, siblings, and extended family members need to work together to support their loved ones, solve problems, and help out. And the same is true in a church family. Paul's leaving here his final instructions to this young church in Thessalonica. Last week, we started off with verses 12 to 13. You can look there with me. You can see that that Paul writes, we ask you, brothers. And then look this morning at verse 14. It says, now I urge you, brothers. He's kicking it up a notch. The stakes are higher and more important. And he's not talking to pastors or elders here, no, but to the whole church family. These instructions are for everyone in the church. Some of the special needs of people in the church can be addressed by those specially gifted to meet their needs. Maybe a pastor, maybe an elder. Last week we didn't mention this, but one of the most important uh, ordained roles here at Nielsville are our deacons. We have a wonderful team of deacons that serve the great needs within our church and outside of our church, and those that serve in our benevolence team, serving those in great need. And even our Stephen ministry that has served so faithfully, and I pray that we will bring that back soon to serve the needs of the church. But really, the instructions here are for the whole church. As I mentioned last week, where it says, brothers, that could be translated brothers and sisters, everybody. And for everybody, Paul has an urgent warning. Pay special attention to these three groups of people. 
He says, warn those who are lazy, comfort those who are frightened, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone. So let's take a look at each of those three groups. Let's start with the idol. Let's talk about the idol. What is he talking about here? And you'll hear me say this a number of times this morning, that we always need to keep in mind the context. What was the context of last week's passage and, and the conversation we looked at uh, last week? Paul's thinking especially about, last week, those that, who are disorderly, disrespectful people in the church. They're disrespecting those that are in leadership. And he says last week, those are the ones that need correction. And so it's no surprise that he continues that theme and starts with those that that need a little special attention. The ESV says, admonish the idle. King James Version says, warn the unruly. So who does he have in mind? Who's idle? Who's unruly? Where's Damien Carter? There he is. I, I told him I was going to. Look to the person next to you. And just look them up and down. Are they being idle? <laughs> Michelle's looking at Greg. Well, so digging into the Greek here of what this word uh, atakos means, it didn't shed much more light. Um, idle has a sense of being disorderly or rebellious or disrespectful or also lazy. And I tried to think of, a, of, a, of an example, and the best example I could come up with was, uh, was Beetle Bailey. Does anyone read Beetle Bailey in the comics been around forever? He's always, he's always just going the wrong way, always looking for an opportunity to, to, to slack off or take a nap or, or get stuck in the mud. That's, that's Beetle Bailey. That's who Paul's talking about. He's talking about those people that are shirking their responsibilities to the church. Now you're wondering, okay, now who is he talking about? Listen, again, remember the context of the whole letter. This whole letter is about Jesus' second coming. And that Jesus, he tells the people, is coming soon. And so there's a whole segment of folks in the church there, and this is first century, who are thinking, well, what's the point of working? If Jesus is going to come back anytime, why work? This was an ongoing issue. More than just an issue of attitude, it was an issue about doctrine and where the church was headed. Chronic idleness among the believers there in the church in Thessalonica prompted Paul to write his second letter to Thessalonians, which was written a short time after the first was sent. As a matter of fact, matters only got worse if you were to read all of 2 Thessalonians, which would probably take you about 20 minutes. Too many people were refusing to work and were refusing to abide by church discipline. There was all kinds of confusion about when the Lord was coming again. And what these folks were doing was they were exploiting the wealthier Christians in the church and just relying on them. Why should I work? You, you can pay for the food. You can pay for the, re- you have all the resources. We're just waiting for the Lord to come back. They were becoming loafers. Now, Paul says in our passage this morning to be patient for, with everyone. But I can't help but look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and wonder if Paul's patience had a limit. There he says, 
We told you then, and we are telling you now, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Do you think his patience is wearing out? Again, verse 11, he goes on. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Busy bodies. Are there busy bodies in churches? Verse 12. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So their disorder and apathy was happening. Now, I'm talking about this church in the first century, a long time ago, a long way away, but how does it apply to the church today? Not just to our church, but to every church. Their disorder and their apathy was holding the church back from flourishing. These were folks that were at odds with whatever was going on at the church that was new. They're more interested in being busy bodies than being busy at the work at hand. Does that happen in church? And so we hear about a, a new opportunity that Ryan and, and the, the porters and the Condricks and the shoots and the leadership of youth ministry are, are trying to explain. And how are we feeling about that? Are we going to, to serve and encourage that or are we just going to hold back? It says here the church is to admonish, to warn the wayward, the idle, those who are out of sync with the family, who aren't coming along with the new thing that God is doing. That's true for our church. It's true for every church. The second group are the faint-hearted. Literally, the Greek there means little souls. Little souls. And what is the church to do with these folks? Admonish them? No. He writes, we're to encourage them. Again, keep in mind the context. This is about the second coming of Christ. Well, at that time, brothers and sisters, Christians, were passing away. They, they would just die of natural causes or, or maybe through persecution. Who knows what? Think about how, how often people might have died in a church in that day and age without any medical care. And there were folks that were faint-hearted thinking, now what? I thought no one was supposed to die, that Jesus would come back and take us all to heaven. But my loved one just passed away. And they would become very, very concerned and concerned about their own salvation. What about me? I just got a cough. What if I die before he comes back? And so they would get very, very concerned about their faith. And remember I mentioned last week what happened to Jason. Jason was the man who opened his home up to the missionaries for Paul and Silas and Timothy to come and, and stay with them during those three weeks of ministry. And what happened to Jason? Do you remember? Dragged from his home by a mob, beaten up and thrown into jail. And these are the people saying, that, that, that could happen to me. I can't come and be part of this. I, I'm too scared. And Paul says, Take special attention. These are your brothers and sisters who need to be encouraged. Let's back up for just a moment. Why are we all here at Nielsville? Well, we here at Nielsville believe that we are here, that you are here this morning because God ordained it to be so. Whether this is your first Sunday, and welcome if, if you're a guest this morning, whether you've been coming for just a year 
or 20 years or your whole life, we believe that God has called us here together by the power of the Holy Spirit to draw us together for a purpose and to be the church, to be a family in Christ. And so who are we to one another? Are we not our brother's keeper? Yes, we are. We are responsible to watch out for one another and to care for one another. And that goes for all three groups that are listed here. Now, the reality is, and I hope this doesn't sound unpastoral, but the reality is the faint-hearted, beloved Christian brothers and sisters are also the folks who do not have the courage to change. They don't have the courage to stand up for their convictions. They're the ones that need the extra support. They don't do well with change, but they also, it's not so much that they're angry about it, but they fear it. They're the ones that need encouragement. Because the reality is, life is change. I'm changing. I'm starting to get gray. You're changing. A family changes. Kids grow up and graduate and, and move on. Change is inevitable. And so we're to encourage one another. We're to stick together in the midst of that change. If you feel faint-hearted, you need to know, when I come to church, I'm going to be a place of love and care, not of constant motion. The third group are those who are weak, those that are weak. Now, I, I didn't mention this from the outset, but each of these groups are mentioned throughout the letter uh, to the church. And so there's a lot that Paul has to say about those that are idle. Uh, he says in, in chapter 3, verses 3 to 5, he talks about fear in the face of persecution, those that are faint-hearted. And then, and then here, the, the weak in the context of the of the letter, if you were to look at chapter 4, verses 3 to 8, Paul is speaking about weakness as related to immorality or sexual self-control. So these are brothers and sisters who give in to moral or spiritual temptation. He says, help them. Help them. I urge you to help those that are struggling they are the ones that are susceptible to sin and to falling away from the faith. What's our responsibility to them? Put it another way, what would, what would it be if I said, what is your responsibility to the person sitting beside you or in front of you? Them is us. Us is we. We're all together in this. And the reality is sometimes we miss what this life is all about when it comes to standing up against temptation and against the plots against us the Satan uses. The reality is, Neilsville, every single Sunday, part of our worship service is a time of confession. Well, we say together corporately and then individually, we're going to come before the throne room of God to confess our sin. But then we walk out this door and never are mentioned about temptation. When we check in with each other, the check-in is about how are you doing in general? How's your physical health? How's the family? And what do we say? Doing great. Doing fine. But if we believe that we are on a journey, and a journey that never ends until the Lord calls us home, 
It means that we are going to face temptation. So what am I suggesting? I'm suggesting that you and I, we all need someone to help us in our faith journey, to hold us accountable, to help us, to encourage us. And we know we all are tempted to succumb to temptation. I don't need a show of hands. I'll be the first to raise my hand. I am susceptible to temptation. But I have encouragement. I have people that I check in with each week to hold me accountable. Do you? Do you have someone to be real with, to be honest with, to say, I'm struggling. I'm falling out of love with my husband. I can't stand coming home at night. I don't know what this life's all about, and I'm struggling to hold on. I have an addiction that I can't even look myself in the mirror, let alone tell a close friend of what's going on in my life. John Owen wrote this forever ago. Let no man pretend to fear sin that does not fear temptation also. We need to help each other in our weakness. We can't just go out the door and say everything's hunky-dory and go about our day. We need to get real with each other. Get into a life group. Get into a small group. Cut the chit-chat and share what's really going on. I'd love to see prayer requests online or in our prayer cards that say, I'm facing a temptation. I have an addiction. I don't know what to do. That's where real ministry will happen. Life change will happen. The reality is we all move within these groups from time to time, don't we? We all slack off in our commitment and become idle. We get angry and irritated about changes in the church. We struggle with fears and doubts about our future. We need help to cling to the gospel of grace. And for all of us, Paul writes, we all need to be patient with each other. Long-suffering. One of the most beautiful attributes of God's love. And God's love for us is expressed in his patience. Perfectly personified in Jesus. Jesus knew how to be patient with broken, messy people. In fact, he knew better than anybody that people are messy. And sometimes you and me, we all need special attention. That means caring enough to invest in one another, praying for one another, really knowing what's going on in one another's lives. And so we have no excuse for being impatient. And someone flies off the handle and says, she is so difficult to work with. So what? Or, but he's too demanding. Well, what else is new? God's called us together for a purpose. I can't work with that committee. They want too much. This is the life that God's called us to, to be in this together. And the Bible says, be patient with them all. That doesn't mean being a doormat. It says, be patient. There's a big difference. That the admonishment, the encouragement, and the help will change over time. The way we care for one another. The way we relate to one another. The way we encourage one another. But we're to keep in mind, we're always to be patient with one another. Long-suffering. And that that patience is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It can't be jerry-rigged or just urged out of us that we're going to be patient. Okay, well, great, thanks. I'll be patient. 
We say, Holy Spirit, come. Enable me to be patient with this difficult person in my life. Since God has been infinitely patient with us, as he surely was with Paul when he was known as Saul of Tarsus, a persecutor of the church, we too must be patient with one another here at Nielsville. When I was uh, involved in youth ministry in high school, I stayed around my hometown in college for two years, junior college, and was very involved in leadership. And then I transferred to the university, and I decided it's time for me to have some fun. I'm going to put this church stuff on hold. I'm going to have some fun. And boy, did I have fun. Party scene, the whole thing. Catch up for all that time that I'd missed. And on the quad, I'll never forget this, uh, UC Davis, before, thankfully before I met Cheryl, she probably would just look at me like, get your act together. I ran into to a friend from my old youth group, and she came to me and she said, oh, you're transferred here. How are things going? How's your first semester? And I'm sharing with her and catching up, and she looked at me and she said, you know, you're being a backslider. I was so offended. Who does she think? She, I was the youth leader. You're telling me that I'm a backslider just because I never go to church and I don't pray and I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus' people? I was mad, I was resentful, I was angry, I was embarrassed. And then I went to church because I knew she was right. And that leads us to verse 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. The reality is Christians hurt each other. We commit sins against one another. Sometimes right here in this room and in this church, Paul's alluding to Jesus' teaching where Jesus says to love everyone, but what good is it to love your, your friend? Love your enemy. Do good to those who persecute you. To do good to those who harm you. That is impossible without the Holy Spirit. Perhaps Paul had in mind Uh, the slanderers and the persecutors outside the church, but I think he had in mind what was happening inside the church family. We need to be patient with with one another, and we need to love one another, and we need to work things out. To live worthy of his calling, we must cultivate a flourishing, nurturing, spirit-filled environment. And what we're going to do in the next month or so, and you're going to read about this in the newsletter, is we're going to do something called appreciative inquiry. This is not a poll. This is not a survey. This is hearing one another's stories, an opportunity for you to get to know one another on a deeper level, to hear what God's done in your life and is doing in your life, so that together we can discern God's will for our future. This isn't about wetting a finger and sticking it up and finding which way the winds are blowing. This is about coming together as a family, really listening to one another, and out of that, discerning where the Lord would have us go. That is how I truly believe this church will live worthy of his calling. Let's pray. So God, now as we stand again to sing, we pray that for all of us, all of us need special attention from time to time. Lord, maybe there's someone here who says, gosh, I fit the bill. I'm being idle, or I feel faint-hearted and weak and concerned in my faith.
or I'm struggling with a great temptation, Lord, I pray that as a church we would rally around our brothers and sisters. We would follow your lead, Lord Jesus, to love one another and to be patient with each other. Amen. Please.